we continue on in our season of Advent, which again means the coming of King Jesus. Now, we kicked off last week the generous king, and so with that, know that he's not just any king. He truly is a generous king, so generous that we saw last week that he actually gives us himself. And I invited us into this invitation from actually the king of kings to slow down in this season. To, to take a step back, to pause, to consider what might God have for me. And the invitation was this, that we as believers would humbly and joyfully focus our hearts back to worshiping creator instead of creation. In a season and in a culture we live in, is constantly about give me this, give me this, that we'd slow down and say, hey, how do we worship creator and not creation? I asked us this question last week, what would it look like for you for me to reorient our lives in a way that reflected his generosity to us. My prayer all week for you, for me, is that you would have been stirred this week uh, to answer that question I asked you last week, where does your hope come from? I pray that you, you thoughtfully uh, processed in your own heart, like where do you, Brown, where do you put your hope in? Where does your hope come from? Last week we saw through Jesus, the generous king, he offers us a hope, as Hebrew, the author of Hebrews says, a hope that we can hold on to without wavering. And so that's how we kicked off last week, no longer uh, finding our hope in the things of this world, but actually finding, putting our hope in the one who is our faithful provider. And because of that beautiful gift that he gives us, we can live a life of generosity. We looked at three things last week. Right? How can we be generous with our time? That this holiday season, the life that you live from today forward, how can you be generous with your time and actually be present with your kids, with your grandkids, slow down the pace of life just a bit, see eye to eye with the people in front of you? Like I think that's the invitation for us in a world that's constantly going for us to slow down and be generous with our time. Where do we give our time to? And then to be generous with the good gifts that he gives us, right? You think about uh, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, 10 through 14, talking about the spiritual gifts. All of those gifts that he gives you, the gift of encouragement, the gift of discernment, the gift of prophecy, the gift of healing, the gift of faith, all of those gifts are to build up and to encourage one another, the body of Christ. So how can you be generous with those gifts? To pause, to consider, what has God gifted me with and how can I in turn, be generous with those gifts. And then last week, we, we looked at our treasures, right? Like, oh, nobody talk about money, I get that. Hey, but how can you, as God has blessed you financially, how can you be generous with those gifts? What is God calling you into as a family, as an individual? What is he stirring your hearts to be a part of? Maybe it's stuff like Dash Network. Maybe you want to contribute to that. For us, I asked us that we would be a kingdom-minded church, not build Grace Church Alito Kingdom, but that we would be focused on advancing the gospel of Jesus all across the globe, which means we're probably not going to kick off this huge, massive campaign and build a, 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 a huge church. And there's no, nothing wrong with that. I'm not bashing uh, other churches that do that. I just want us to be generous with those gifts that he gives us. I just want us to, to think, how can we bless those people in our community, us in our community? How can we bless uh, our missionary family? And how, how can we bless all of these people that God has given us to further his kingdom? I think, as we saw last week, the hope we have in the one who freely laid down his life 
that hope that we find is for us to, to then freely live and breathe hope and give, uh, live a generous life with all of those, those time, those gifts, those treasures, that you can be generous in your everyday rhythms of life. But it doesn't stop there. Not only do we have hope, like we saw that last week very clearly, but the generous king actually offers us peace. And this peace is yet again found in the generous king who is, as we'll see, our prince of peace. But I wonder this morning, I wonder if we would slow down enough and be real and actually take a heart inventory and ask this simple question, where does your peace come from? Last week we focused on hope, this week, where, where does your peace come from? I, I think it's similar to hope, like we look to creation instead of creator, but even more so, I think if we're honest, we'd say when life is good, we find ourselves at peace. Money in the bank, security, good job, just got the promotion, when our kids make the right decisions, when uh, all of the things seem to line up, we, we seem to be at peace, but when life isn't all that great, we find ourselves what? Anxious? A bit irritable? Frustrated? Angry? Sad? Fearful? We begin to ask questions, meaning our circumstance dictate our peace. I think, I think if we're not careful, our circumstances can dictate the peace that we are longing for. If you think back to a little heart, I, I, I'm going to get deeper and deeper into our hearts this morning, but I want you to think back to the last three, almost four years COVID, global pandemic, like we, we're, we've lived through, we're living in, and we're probably going to continue to live in a wild time. But let's think about the global pandemic. Let's think about some of us, uh, maybe you lost your job in that time. Maybe you had to switch jobs in that time. Maybe you feared the loss of your job in that time. Let's think about the economy shutting down. I mean, let, let's not forget all of the things that have taken place just in the last three and a half years, much less, does anybody remember when there was no toilet paper on the shelves, right? Like, that's a real thing. You remember that. For months, you couldn't find toilet paper, but let's, let's go a little bit deeper here. How about with our kids? Like, having to navigate all sorts of questions. If you're, if you're a parent in the last three to four years, the questions that we've had to navigate as parents are, are some that... Nobody probably even before us have had to navigate, or at least in years, generations. I remember Deacon started kindergarten. Kindergarten teacher had a mask on. I, I, think there's some, I think there's some things that took place during that formative year for him that we're still navigating. Think about your own investments. Am I supposed to take my investments here and put in, in Dogecoin or AMC or GameStop? What am I supposed to do with all of my investments that seem to be crashing I know you thought about it. I thought about it. My retirement account was going down quickly. Like, I know these are questions that you, you have thought about. How we live. Can we spend like this anymore? Can we do this? How are we supposed to live? Do we get a shot or do we not get a shot? Are we supposed to wear masks or not wear a mask? I, I think you can look around the nation and see the racial divide and hostility all across the nation. You can look around right now and see all of the nations raging with war. We don't know what's true anymore. What news station do I listen to? Do I listen to Fox News, CNBC? Do I just go to Facebook? 
None of the above, please. None of the above. What do you listen to? What is true anymore? Who can we trust? Political divisiveness right now has split not just our communities, but it has split churches. I know friends that have had to shut the doors to their church because of a decision that they made. Or they are suffering, even in this moment, financially, because they said this one thing that happened to be true about Jesus, and people didn't like it, and they left their church. And they're left standing there thinking, man, all I was doing was preaching Jesus. What is happening? Divisiveness. Churches shutting their doors. Brothers and sisters losing friends. If I made this decision, I took the gamble that these people will not agree with me. Family members that have almost disowned, if not disowned, their own children or loved ones. Some of us have had to bury our loved ones in the last three to four years. Genuinely, like, lost your friend or your grandparent or your parent just in the last three to four years. In the last three and a half years, we as a community have buried four teenagers who have taken their life. That's one is too many, but four, like this is real stuff that I'm talking about. I've seen marriages explode. I've seen addictions just tear families apart, wreak havoc on our lives. We have seven-year-olds. I talk to our counselor regularly. At Vandegrift, we have seven-year-olds that go to the counselor and say, I'm really struggling with anxiety. How in the world do they even know what that means? What is happening in our nation? What do we do with all of... Some of y'all are like, man, I wasn't nervous until now. Now I'm really feeling this. I think we should. I think we should be real about the last three to four years. What do we do? How do we live with all of this angst and anxiety? How do we live in this broken world. So it's no wonder when you hear the Prince of Peace, we wrestle with actually feeling peace. Oh, that's great. He's the Prince of Peace. Yeah, he sure is. But how I live my life and view the Prince of Peace is where is that? How am I supposed to live with this? We can say we don't feel at peace. And here's the deal. I think the enemy is really good at taking our eyes off of our king and putting them back on our circumstances. Man, he's good at it. They don't call him the father of lies for nothing. He wants nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy. And if he can get your eyes off of our generous king, the one who actually came to bring peace, then I think it's really easy for us to look around and let our circumstances dictate our peace. Now, please hear me on this. I'm not minimizing any of the things that I just described. Like, those are real heavy and terrible things. Maybe not the toilet paper, but we're talking about life and angst and anxiety that are real things. And when the enemy whispers those lies in our ears, and we actually believe them, we hear things like, hey, if God loved you, why do you feel worthless? If God loved you, why is your life a mess? If God loved you, why do you keep running back to the same sin? If God loved you, why is your marriage falling apart? If God loved you, why didn't you get that promotion? You worked so hard at that. Why didn't he honor that? If God loves you, then why do you feel like you'll never be enough? 
And I think when we begin to believe the lies from the enemy, then we are taking our eyes off of our generous king, and it's then we look to so many other things. Just like with hope, we begin to look at creation instead of creator. Where do we find peace? And I think we've believed the lie that there can be peace outside of our creator. I mean, that's what the world tells you. You can find peace outside of your creator. Do this, do this, or do this. You know that there's not another religion that offers you peace unless you fill in the blank. There's not another religion out there that offers you freely peace without this exhaustive list of things for you to do. And even then, when you do them, you're not guaranteed. Well, maybe it wasn't enough. Maybe you need to work a little harder. The reason why this, the Bible here, from cover to cover, the reason why this is the greatest story ever told is because the God of the Bible that we read about actually came to us and he makes peace for us. Like he reconciled us back to him. And then he says, hey, come and see. Come and taste. Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Come and, come and get in on some of this goodness and this grace and this hope and this peace that I have to offer you. See, Matt, that I'm better than anything that you've ever tried in this world. He says, press into me. Come to me, all who are heavy laden and burdened. And what? I will give you rest. Not I will make you work harder. He says, I will give you rest. When we're in the valley and all else is dark and our anxious hearts are searching and seeking, the generous king stoops to us. And he gently reminds us that we can take heart. So hear the words of Jesus this morning as we just prayed from Munazi. I've come so that you may have peace. And this morning we see that promise to us in the scriptures as the Howe family has read Isaiah chapter 9. If you have your Bible, let's look at our text together. I want to remind you at this point, I can't give you a full history lesson, but at this point the prophet Isaiah uh, who God is communicating to and through for God's people. So that's what a prophet is. God gives them a word to communicate to his people. Well, at this point, there's not a lot of hope for the Israelites. But God speaks through the prophet Isaiah about what is ahead. They're about to be exiled for their rebellion. They're about to be cast out for their own rebellion that they have rebelled against God. But he gives them, God gives them through Isaiah, this future forecast of what is to come a solution that would be sent. So let's jump in and look at the solution. Chapter 9, verse 1 through 5. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land. Okay, right there. So you know, like there's not a lot of hope happening. Not a lot of hope here. The land is distressed. Isaiah is communicating. God is communicating through Isaiah to his people. And he says, hey, there's not a lot of hope here. The land is distressed. But let's look at the promise. What does he say? The land will not be like that of the former times, but in the future. Like already, Isaiah chapter 9, we see this beautiful uh, promise. And the promise is this, that in the future, he will bring honor. And I don't know if you take notes, but this was super helpful for me. Jesus is the only one that will take gloom to honor. Like just in verse 1, nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, that's a promise. In the future, he will what? He will bring honor 
to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, to the Galilee of the nations. I want some more of that gloom to honor. What peace we have through Jesus. Verse 2, back to the way of gloom. The people, again, this is, this is a, a, a forecast of what is to come. It's going to be gloom, and then he brings honor, and we're back to gloom here. People were walking in darkness. Not a new story for the people of God. If you've been around our church, you know we talk about the darkness. We talk about the gloom of the ways of this world. It's not a new story for the people of God. Think back to Ephesians. How we started our church was walking through Ephesians. Paul would say things like, your former way of thinking, walking around in the darkness. But look at the promise. The same people walking in darkness have what? Have seen. People in darkness and gloom have seen, what have they seen? A great light. A light has dawned. That's a promise. Just to be very clear. This is, these are promises of what is to come. Future forecast. He says, a light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Let me just say, life's not always easy. Like he doesn't say a light came to them and it was light all around them and there was no more darkness. That's when Jesus would return for this second coming of the Lord when he comes back. We live in a broken world. He's not saying that there's not going to be darkness it's not always going to be good. There's no promise of no darkness, but there is a promise that he would send light. Gloom to honor, a light has dawned. Verse 3, follow along. You, God, have enlarged and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced. So God, he, he's done this. Have enlarged, have increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. This is another promise of the victory through Jesus. And how will he provide victory? Well, verse 4 takes all this gloom to honor, all of the mess. He sends light and sheds light, which is his son Jesus. Verse 4, for you, God, I want you to hear this and breathe this in today. Have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppression. Not he might, Listen to the promise. It's not he could. Well, maybe, maybe he will. Not, hey, if you hold up your end of the bargain, but he says you have. God has just as you have on the day of Midian. Now, I'm going to take just a second here. Because as I was studying through this, I was blown away. I've read this, this prophecy multiple times that points us to Jesus. But it's really cool in his sovereign and in providential way, we've been in Judges. And what do we have here? Just as you have on the day of Midian. If you take a step back just really quickly and understand what God is reminding them of, he's actually reminding them of a few hundred years prior to this, prior to Isaiah writing this, receiving this word from the Lord, and he's reminding them of a time in Judges. How about that? We've been in Judges, the cycle, God is faithful. The Israelites do what? His people rebel, and they worship the idols of the land, and God faithfully would raise up a judge, a deliverer, a savior, lowercase s, if you will, that brings them out of captivity, out of oppression. And they praise the Lord, and then they go back, and there's, it's that constant cycle. And this specific res reference here is one that we've talked about with Midian, 
want you to think back to Judges chapter 7 with Gideon, right? God's going to appoint Gideon as a judge. Gideon says to God, me? Like I'm, I'm the weakest and I'm, from the, I'm the youngest and from the weakest tribe. And God says, I know, I want you. You're the one that I'm going to raise up to deliver. And this is the promise that God gives Gideon is that I will be with you. If you remember the story, there's 32,000 men that Gideon's in charge of that, that he went from like zero to hero really quick. And he has these 32,000 men, but he's up against the Midianites, the strongest force that the Israelites have ever seen. Iron chariots. There's no way that 32,000 men can take down the Midianites. God says, I will be with you. He looks at Gideon. He says, that's too many men. So Gideon does what God tells him to do. He gets his troops from 32,000 down to 22,000. And he's like, okay, God, I'm not going any lower. God says, that's still too many. He takes them to the river and he tells him to Gideon, hey, watch how they drink. Separate them out. Now he's gone from 32,000 men down to 300 men. And God says, there it is. That's what I want. I'll be with you. Just 300 men, that's all I need. And a promise to Gideon from God, he said, the Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with 300 men. Like, can you imagine the anxiety he must have felt? Now I'm speaking to your hearts. Could you imagine that? Like the biggest army, I don't know, that's probably how most people feel when they play Alito on Friday nights, right? Like, they're like, I don't know, man. I don't know how we're going to do this. These guys are legends. They're 16 to 18-year-old Young men. But nonetheless, they line up, and can you imagine the angst that the Israelites felt in this time? Like, their circumstance went from Gideon, number one, you're the weakest and youngest. Now you're telling us we're going from 32,000 to 22,300. I don't know what you ate last night, but we ain't doing that. Like, I joke about it, but I'm sure the angst that they felt, their circumstance that they found themselves in was the impossible. But watch what happened. Judges chapter 7, the 300. Now, at this time, he, he separated his, his 300 into three groups of 100. And it says, the three companies, they blew their trumpets and they shattered their pitchers as they surrounded the, the Midianites. They held their torches in their left hands, their trumpets in their right hands, and they shouted, a sword for Yahweh and, and for Gideon. Each Israelite took his position around the camp. They're ready to go. The Lord said he'd be with us, and man, we got our swords ready to go. And the entire Midianite at that time fled. The Midianite army fled. And they cried out as they ran. Verse 22, when Gideon's men blew their 300 trumpets... The Lord set the swords of each man in the army against each other with their swords. Gideon's men never even drew their swords. You ever wonder about like God and, and his awesomeness and, and his miraculous works? Like I, I wish I could have been there to see that. 300 men felt so courageous because the God, Yahweh, said, I will be with you. And they went to 40,000 plus men with iron chariots surrounded the camp with 300 men with a trumpet and that God said, just blow the trumpet. I'll take care of the rest. Like this is a stunning victory that only the Lord, Yahweh, could provide. God breaks the enemy for you. 
you have done nothing. You've done nothing. I have done nothing. And God has shattered, as we see here, their oppressive yoke in the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppression. Look at me. God, God has not just given you support. Like he's not just patted you on the back and said, hey, maybe next time I'll, I'll take care of this for you. Like he's not looked at all of the darkness around us, the angst in our world, and thought, man, I really messed up on this. Send another flood. I can't do that. He's, he's promised. He's a faithful God. He, he can't do that. And what has he done? What has God done for you? Well, he's shattered your oppression. All, that means all of your anxiety that you feel, all of, of your pain that's been done to you and the pain that you've done to others. All of the suffering, all of the injustices, every bit of oppression has been shattered. Now, I don't know about you, but like that doesn't just give me hope. That, that gives me peace. That gives me just a, a chance to, to just breathe a little and all of the turmoil around us to actually find that hope, but also to live even in the already but not yet to, to live in this peace. God not only promises to shatter them, but he promises to keep going. Look at verse 5 with me. He says, For every trampling boot of battle and the bloody garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. So he calls them back to, to Gideon in Judges 7, and he says, Remember this. And then he says, For every trampling boot of battle and the bloody garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. This is like a super defeat. Not only did he defeat your enemies with the trumpets blowing, if you will, but this is like a super defeat of all of your enemies, where God makes the trampling of our enemies now useful for his glory and our good. He could have stopped. He could have said, hey, this future coming, like it's going to be good. I'm going to send you a son, and you're going to have peace, and he'll break the back of the oppressors. He'll take all the injustices. He'll, he'll be the, justi the justifier of the inexcusable. He'll do all this. He's going to take care of you against your enemies. He could have stopped there, but he doesn't. He doesn't just make you victorious. He makes you more than conquerors. He takes the enemies, those who proclaim their kingdom instead of his, and now he uses them for his glory and for our good. Romans 8, verse 35. Who can separate us? If you need a little help this morning, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I look around and I think there's a lot of things that I would say are terrible in my life and my world right now. But when I read these, can affliction or anguish or persecution, we gather freely here this morning in Alito, Texas. Or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written. Because of you, Jesus, we were being put to death all day long. But listen to what he says. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, 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 no. And all these things. But the world would say you're counted as, as sheep to be slaughtered. But listen to what we have this hope here. In all of these things, we are more than victorious. You are more than conquerors through who? Through him who loved you. 
For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth, or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Which means for you and I, no matter our circumstances, He breaks the back. All of your heavy burdens that you feel are over you or on you, He takes all of that. And He uses it not just for defeat, but now for your good. Your circumstances, brother or sister, may not change. Let me just breathe some peace to you. The generous King sees you. He's fought for you. And in that, He generously offers you the peace of His victory. You've been united to Jesus in his victory. So the call for you and I is to be faithful and dependent. Hear me on this. Not not on your own strength. Not dependent when your circumstances are good. Lord, things are great. Thank you. Praise you. Lose this. God, where are you? Not to just be dependent when our circumstances are good, but dependent every day at every moment on his victory. He sustains you through all things. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't turned his back on you. And so this reminder of the future way is one of dependence on a father who loves you more than you could ever imagine. And so with that in closing, how will he do it? We'll hear the promise of the solution that is to come. Verse 6, for a child will be. Hear these promises. Might be, could be. He should be, he ought to be, no. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7. His dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. God doesn't just bring his kingdom about and say good luck. He ushers in this new kingdom through his son and he promises to sustain it from, sustain it from now on and forever. So that just means this. The little baby boy in the manger doesn't just breathe hope into our lives on that Christmas morning. While that's enough, he keeps being generous with us. He offers us something more than just hope. We can actually rest in his peace. Think about what Jesus says in John 14. He's about to, he's about to undergo this, this terrible death. He's about to be betrayed by his closest. He's about to be uh, beaten and mocked and eventually murdered for you and for I. And listen to what he says in John 14. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. He's talking to his disciples, his closest brothers. And he says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, wonderful counselor, remember, the Father, mighty God, eternal Father, remember, will send him in my name. And he, the counselor, will teach you all things and remind you everything I have told you. And then he looks at his disciples and he says this, Peace 
I leave with you my peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. Jesus offers you, you, me, broken and busted, tired and weary friend here today, self-righteous and ashamed, so much more than this world could ever offer us. And I love, I've got like two closings. I really am close. But I love that God gives Isaiah a little more. The section closes with God saying to his people, the zeal, the passionate commitment. Verse 7, the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will accomplish this. He, he's going to make this happen. He will make this happen. His jealousy, what that means is that his jealousy for you. He's jealous for you. When you turn your back on him, he doesn't lose passion for you. He leans into that and he's jealous for every part of your life, your time, your, your gifts, your treasures. He's jealous for you. That's what's behind his, his zeal, his passion. The coming gift we are celebrating is not just one of cosmic rain, but it's, it's personal for you. For unto us a child is born. Not for unto whoever's lucky. Not for unto whoever does A, B, and C. For unto you. Becca, for unto you. John, for unto you. Willis, for unto you. Alexis, for unto you. John, for unto you. You could have been the only one, and he still would have done it. He still would have sent his son for you. For unto us, a child is born. The little baby, he didn't stay put. As you know, he grew up and did as his father asked him to do, even to the point of death on the cross. And because of the father's generosity, the son, out of his generous love for you, made peace between you and God. So friend, if you want to experience the peace of God, then you have to know the peace, the God of peace. And if you want to know the God of peace, then you must embrace the generous gift of his son. So simply put, the calling for each of us this morning is to receive, receive the peace of God through trusting Jesus. Enjoy the peace of God through following Jesus. Enjoy it. This beautiful adventure. Enjoy that peace and follow him. And then to generously spread the peace of God through proclaiming Jesus to everyone around you. Remember, real peace isn't found in a successful job. It's not found in living in a secure neighborhood. It's not found in any of the best food or drink or wine or activity or exercise or travel or the next holiday, uh, whatever it is. It's not found in, it's not even found in a loving family. Peace isn't, isn't found in that. So may we not let our circumstances dictate our peace. Peace is only found in the Prince of it. And his name is Jesus, and he's our Prince of Peace. Father, we come before you this morning. Humbly come before you, and I ask that you would stir in our hearts. Lord, I, I know... I think I just even need to confess. I feel hurried. I made two comments this morning about my sermon, and, and Lord, I, I just confess that even my 
angst of what people feel or think or uh, their expectations on me. I just confess just being more concerned with that than, than of your, your Holy Spirit having freedom to reign. We live in a fast-paced world. And I feel like we have an opportunity at Grace Church Alito to slow down, to do things a bit different. We're not even reinventing the wheel. We're, we're just trying to be Jesus-loving people who are humble because of what you've done to us and for us, and then we're joyful because of what you've invited us into. You are so generous to us. You're so patient with me. You're so loving and kind. I think about the worst thing that has happened in my life, whether that's losing a a, a dear friend and having to bury her at, at 35, or all, all the, the, the things that I've wrestled with in the past with sin. Lord, I think about all of that. You're still a good father. You're a loving father. You are zealous, passionate, jealous for my heart. And so I thank you for that. And I pray that, that we, as we sit here this morning, can reflect on that, on your goodness and your grace, your mercy and your love that's been poured out through your son, Jesus. If nobody's, if nobody's experienced that peace this morning, I pray that they would receive it from you through trusting Jesus. I pray that my brothers and sisters would enjoy that peace through following you. And I pray that we would be a family who generously spreads that peace as we proclaim you in our everyday rhythms of life. Help us, Jesus. We, we need you. Thank you for not staying in the manger. Thank you for uh, not shying away from the cross. Thank you that you chose us. What a joy that is. What peace that brings us this season love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.